It's been a beautiful week, and uh, this psalm has been on my heart for a bit. So today you get it unpacked. And some of you might be thinking, man, 22 verses, we're going to be here till noon. Maybe a little after. No, I'm just kidding. But only a little. So we're, we're going to dig into this and we're going to go. But you see my simple titles, exclamation points. Quick question, how many people out there are like me? When you send a text message or an email, do you toss on an exclamation point in hopes that the person reading it kind of hears your voice in it? Or is that just me? No, good. Yes, there are more people than me. I always feel weird when I'm like, yeah. But it's that point I'm trying to get across the same sound of my voice in what I write. When I was in my master's program, my professors told me it was bad that basically they could hear me talking in each of my papers. It was supposed to sound more scholarly. I can never quite overcome that because my voice is my voice. It's what I am. It's who I am. And it's how I'm going to talk. And because of that, it's how I'm going to write. But if you look at exclamation points, for me, I'm in mourning over an exclamation point this morning, y'all. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I was born in Norman, Oklahoma. Crimson and cream runs through my blood. And I married a woman whose parents used to work at that other school that <laughs> purple and kind of trampled my guys. And Jake and Marie were both wearing K-State gear this morning. I'm like, thanks, guys. That's... But they put an exclamation point on their season last night in a way that I didn't see coming. Now, as you think about that, we use that phrase, an exclamation point. We're talking about emphasis. It's something that we want to communicate strongly. And when they talk about K-State putting an exclamation point on their season, it's that emphasis that we're here we're not to be taken lightly. This is what we really are. Psalm 34, <coughs> excuse me, as I hack on my allergy. Psalm 34 is an exclamation point in God's word. But the exclamation point might not be what you're thinking. So we're going to unpack that as we go. So let's start. You heard it. It's broken up into three different parts in this psalm. There's the first three verses that kind of come together, and that's really the theme of the song. Thanks for getting that rolling, Austin. As you hear the song, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. The theme through those first three verses, it's all about David has experienced God's goodness. And experiencing God gives us a reason to praise him. David's inviting everyone into his praises because this psalm, if you look in your Bible, there's, there's a little subheading under Psalm 34. It's not a pericope, which is a fancy Greek word for subheading, but it's a title. And it talks about the fact that this was an experience that's referenced in 1 Samuel 21. It says he pretended to be insane in front of the king Abimelech. That's the Philistines. Because let's rewind Old Testament history. David was anointed as king. Saul didn't know that, didn't like David because he was a rival. In fact, you know, even, even though David is married to Saul's daughter, Saul's throwing spears at him and doing all this, David eventually has to flee Israel. And lo and behold, where does he go? Anybody know where David went right after he fled? The Philistines, which, brief recap, do you remember who the most famous Philistine that David chopped his head off was? Goliath. And where did he go? 
He goes to the Philistines, which for the record, some people stirred up the king saying, hey, isn't that the guy they saying Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands? And the king has the potential there, while David is in hiding from King Saul, to kill David, put an end to it all right then, right there. And so what David does is he pretends to be insane. And this psalm is written directly after that. Now, real quick, this is just for your knowledge. There are people who have tried to discredit Scripture here because it says that the king's name was Abimelech in the psalm versus if you actually go into 1 Samuel, it's Achish, which, like, bless you. I'd hate for that to be my name, man. Everybody's like, sorry, sorry, sneezed. But uh, Achish is the king's name. Abimelech isn't a mistake here in the psalm, but most likely it's the reference to the name of a king like Pharaoh was in Egypt. This isn't a mistake. And people have pointed that out for ages in Scripture, looking for a way to poke holes in God's Word. But here, here's your brief, brief disclaimer for the morning. God's Word never changes. God's Word never fails. And whether we like it or not, God's Word has never and never will be wrong. It contains everything that is true, and it speaks directly to our hearts. And that's why I want to just cover that real quick. In case somebody goes back and you read it, you're like, wait a minute. Like if you pull up a commentary, one of the things that it'll say there is it'll probably reference this point because some critical commentators through the years had issues with that word. But as we found out more, we realized, oh, he wasn't referencing a name. He was referencing, it's like saying, the king of England. He was referencing the king of the Philistines when he said Abimelech. So, Start there. The next thing to see in this psalm, just like a lot of other psalms, it's an acrostic. We don't see it in the English, do you? It starts with I, I, P, I, those. Not, not really acrostic, right? But in Hebrew, each line starts with a succeeding letter of the alphabet. And then it ends up spelling the word aleph, which frankly is the Hebrew word to learn. So this psalm is meant to teach. And we'll unpack that a whole lot more later. But as you see in those first three verses, experiencing God gives us a reason to praise Him. Because the first word you see, I will bless the Lord at all times. I don't know about you, but it, growing up, I struggled with the word bless. I'm like, God doesn't need blessed. He's already got everything. Y'all, what? Come on. Bless isn't just about giving. In Hebrew thought, to bless was to increase meaning and to acknowledge the glories that make God who He is, and to ask for God's glories to increase in our world and in us. In fact, if you know Fiddler on the Roof, there's a brief moment in a scene in there where someone asks the rabbi, Rabbi, is it a proper blessing for the czar? The rabbi says, of course. May God bless and keep the czar far from us. And it's funny because the Hebrew, the Jewish culture literally has a blessing for everything. In fact, when they take communion, when we see those words in Scripture when Jesus took communion, it says he blessed the cup. He blessed the bread. Luke, Matthew, Mark, John, they don't spell it out beyond that. But let's put Jesus where he is. The Jew, when he blessed the cup, he would have said, well, the Hebrew words, Baruchatai Yahweh. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who's given us. It goes on. That's what they did. They did this constantly. It was ingrained in their mind, but they weren't saying it in the way we do. Like when someone says, bless you, what are we meaning? 
We're, we're saying, oh, you know, well, if you go all the way back, it's we're glad your soul did not depart your body when you sleep. You know, but we, we don't think about it. We just say it. When David says, bless the Lord at all times, he's saying he wants God's glory to increase. He wants it to grow. He wants it to be seen. But more than that, he goes on to say he wants to invite us into it. And as you look at it, bless the Lord at all times. The word all doesn't leave much room for wiggle, does it? I don't know. Have you ever felt like not blessing God? He wasn't doing what you wanted or what you thought should happen? And the question is always, well, why did God let this happen to me? Right? You been there? Or is that just me that's a dirty heathen? I know I've had those moments where, God, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you intervene? David was just in one of those situations where nothing looked good. He comes out of it, and this is what he says. I will bless the Lord at all times. That's every moment. And in light of the event that's happened, acting crazy to escape the death and gas with the Philistines, he's saying even that he will bless the Lord and give him the praise he deserves in the worst moments. Paul in the New Testament takes it a little further, and he says to give thanks whatever happens. We can do the whole give thanks part. It's the all, the every that flows with it that is hard. But in the midst of those hard things, have you experienced God's goodness in it? Come out the other side and you see, man, God is good. That's what David has experienced. And he says this, but then he continues on in verse 2, and that's the second point. Meaningful confidence comes from God's faithfulness to us. Meaningful confidence comes from God's faithfulness to us. David isn't saying that stuff doesn't happen. He's not saying that the stuff doesn't hit the fan. He's saying God is faithful through it. God is faithful in spite of it. God is good in the midst of it. And so he says, I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. David's not talking about his exploits. If we're going to boast, what do we normally say? The next line is, man, I did, or this. And we want to say something about us. David said he's going to boast in what God did. He's focusing again on the one who brought him through everything. In other words, in knowing who God is and what he does, having a personal knowledge and experience of God gives David confidence. The, uh, the age-old spiritual from years ago, I say it's not that old. In, in, in the retrospect, it's only a couple hundred. Still, he's never failed me. He's never failed me yet, is the refrain. And it was sung by slaves who were still rejoicing in God's goodness. That's where David is. He's saying, I'm going to boast in God in spite of this. And people, the humble, we think about humility as like, I'm not going to take credit for this. He's not exactly going there. It's better, well, possibly translated as helpless, discouraged, desperate, needy. Those kind of things are the same word. The idea that is in all circumstances similar to David's, where stuff has hit the fan and things are going poorly, be encouraged. Hear this and be glad because God was faithful to me. You hear that? David's experience is leading him to tell people, God's been faithful to me. 
promise he'll be faithful is what he's saying in these first chunks. But hear the word in Jeremiah, because this helps us out a little bit. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. It's not about what we have, what we can do, and what makes us so great that gives us a cause to boast. God's telling you it's not what you've got because, let's get honest, God gave it to you in the first place. If you're wise, your wisdom came from God. If you're strong, your strength came from God. The boast comes in who God is. Understanding and knowing Him. See the glorious truth there. Why does David say all this in Psalm 34? He knew and understood who God was. He knew and understood God's faithfulness. He had experienced it. He had lived with it. And that all encouraged him to call people in. Verse 3, the words, with me and together, proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt the Lord together. All of it means experiencing God's faithful love. It leads us to invite others into it. Because he's calling everyone in. David says, I have reason to praise God. Join me. You hear how that works. Hopefully you're starting to feel some conviction because that's what God has called us to do too. If you have experienced the goodness of God, it's not for you. It is. But it should never stop there. Experiencing the goodness of God leads us to call others in because we've seen his faithfulness. We've seen his goodness. That leads us to want to say something about it, to do something. You move on. The next section is tailored to talk about inviting people in. And it's applying David's experience to us. First, he tells you that he sought the Lord and God answered him and rescued him from all of his fears which fears there is probably best, best said is terrors. It's not like fear of the Lord. It's not awe. It's, I'm going to die. This is not okay. It's the same kind of word that when Isaiah sees God in Isaiah 6, woe is me, it's that kind of fear that I'm dead. This isn't a reverential awe. But he says God rescued him from all that. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. Then David says this, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. Now, when he says poor, do you think he's talking about money? Give you a hint. That's not what David's worried about. When he says poor, he's talking about his state of being. He does not have what he needs. He is not capable of getting what he needs. He has no hope outside of God. That's why he cries out. God answered. God saved him and rescued him from all of his troubles. He's telling us this because he wants you to see, because he cried and was rescued. He was convinced that God's people are never put to shame. As you move on, they're radiant. They'll never be ashamed. Instead, he says, God hears them, rescues them from their troubles, and so they are radiant, expressive with joy 
is a universal experience and truth based on God's goodness to him. Here's, here's the truth. God has been good to you. This morning, all of us had something to eat. This morning, we're sitting in a building that is climate controlled. We've got cushy seats. Because I don't know about you, I grew up in a church that had hard wooden pews. I was not comfy. And then they put the pew cushions on and it got a little bit better. But you know, you look at those things. We have been given so much. Testimony to the fact that God is so good to us. The Cornerstone Bible Commentary hits it really well here. This entire passage is a testimony shared to the glory of God. David's prayer was answered with total deliverance. And this wasn't particular just to David. Because as he said, for those who look to him, find an inner radiance. And then they'll never reap shame and are never disappointed as a result of looking to the Lord. Let me say that last part again. He said that those who trust him are never disappointed as a result of looking to the Lord. I read that chunk from the Cornerstone Commentary and just kind of passed over it. Moving on. Did you see the importance? It's not that we will never be disappointed. Let me, let me tell you, in case you've never experienced it, church, you're going to be disappointed. Things are going to happen that will disappoint you. Things are going to happen that are going to make you angry. Things are going to happen that are going to make you so sad you can't believe it. But if we look to God in the midst of these things, we will never be disappointed because he will answer. Not he might, he will. That's a promise. God said he would never leave or forsake us. He's not going to do it just when things have gone ugly. The question I'm asking, church, are we looking to God in the midst of that? Are we hoping that God will give us enough strength that we can overcome it? Because there's a difference in the I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps mentality that we have. Let's get real. We're Kansans. We live in a place where if you work hard enough, you succeed. Pull yourself up, make it happen. I've said that enough to my kids. Just do it. Success comes after the fact. But that doesn't always work the way we expect. But if we look at God, and we ask him and we rely on his strength in that. We'll never be disappointed. Because when David says he looks to God, it's another way of expressing trust in his time of need. Again, he's saying, God rescued me. You too are safe in his hand. The faith to say that, to believe that, and to know that. It seems like too much sometimes. You've been there? I, I don't know that I can necessarily believe that in the midst of, insert the blank, it's been the worst thing that's ever happened. Or maybe the answer is, this happened to me. How could God let that happen? Think about David. He was anointed the king of Israel. He had served faithfully and was driven off from his homeland to a place where he might well die because these were his enemies. And who does he look to? He looks to God to deliver him. So this whole psalm flows from that. But as you think about faith, there was a name that popped up to me. He's a kind of hero of the faith. His name's George Mueller. Anybody know who he is? We actually talked about him in ABF, started to and touched on that the other week. And I was like, man, that ties across beautifully. Thanks, Carmen. You didn't know you filled that in for me. 
But George Mueller's story is amazing. He was an Englishman who was convinced of the need in England to take care of orphans. Who knew? There were a lot in that early Industrial Revolution era. But Mueller would never ask for anything from people. He didn't go to people raising support. He didn't go to people asking for them to support this endeavor. Instead, he believed that God had called him to it and that God would provide. And his faith in that was astounding. In fact, this is what he said. And I think this will spell a little more. How different if one waits for God's own time and looks to him for help and deliverance. When at last help comes, after many hours of prayer and much faith and patience, how sweet it is. What a reward the soul receives for trusting in God and waiting patiently for his deliverance. If you have never walked in this path of obedience before, do so now. You will experience the sweetness of the joy that faith brings. Love that. Deliverance, it comes from God, not from our own abilities, context, capabilities, or anything else. I'm going to get real. I tend to believe that I can deliver myself from whatever's facing me. I am capable. I'm man. I can do this. But when you hit the end of yourself and you don't know what to do, who's there? I'll tell you what I've experienced. It's not that. (laughs) I don't have. At the end of me, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can control. What do I have? I'll tell you. An unshakable trust in the fact that the God who made me, the God who called and equipped me, has never failed me. And because he's never failed me, you know what I believe at the end of it all? I believe that he will never fail me now. In the midst of one of the darkest times, in fact, one of, my, one of the quotes that's resonated in my head, I, I was told in my ministry career that if God had called me, I'd evidently failed in that calling because I wasn't doing what certain people wanted me to do. And you know what? That struck me to the core and it cut me in half. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to rise up and say, but we did this. We baptized this many. God has been faithful who failed in their calling. That does no one any good. Instead, all I had to do was I had to sit there and say, you know what? There are ways I've failed. And that's on me. But you know who's good in the midst of that? The God who uses it for his glory. David experienced that. He was called by God And he was anointed to be the next king. And this is the farthest thing he could imagine from where he thought he was going. He was on a trajectory. He was going to make it happen. And he trusted God to do so, not himself. George Mueller, in starting his orphanage, he believed in God, not himself. He did not have the capability to feed the kids. He did not have the capability to provide for their needs church. He knew the one who did. He trusted him the same way David trusted God to deliver. Because David experienced the goodness and faithfulness of God. He was on a mission to invite people in and teach them what he experienced. That's what Mueller's saying right here. If we believe that our God is going to provide and deliver, the question is, do we really believe that? Because you notice that line, 
How different if one waits for God's own time and looks to him for help and deliverance? The hard part is it's God's own time. If it was mine, things would have happened the way I wanted. You know what? I probably would have been more confident in my own strength, my own capability. I was. Rather than more confident in the God who's never failed me yet and never will. Beginning to catch a theme, church. You've experienced the goodness of God. You see what he's doing. That's why as he continues, one of my favorite verses here is, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Now you see that. Those are physical things we do. Tasting and seeing. It's experiential. There are a lot of times experience isn't something we want to talk about in church because that makes for poor theology. Let me tell you something, church. If you chase an experience over the person of God and what he said, you're wrong. Sorry, that hurts. The truth doesn't change. God's word is eternal. It's what we stand on. But when you see the God in Scripture in real life, when you touch him, when you taste, when you see, it changes you. Your experience of who God is leaves you a different person which is really just the word of God changing you. Taste and see. That's how, as you see God's goodness, then it follows. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? You tend to think of happiness in the midst of your worst situations? Oh, you know, it's great. That, that tends to be the one you're like, I think something's wrong with them. You need to go see Kelly. Okay, go, go talk to her about your problems because you've got issues. And how happy is the person? It doesn't say you're, you're jumping up and down. Happy, happy. This is talking about a joy that never leaves. Joy is a way different cry from happiness. Our happiness is transitory. It passes and it goes. But if we've experienced God and we're trusting God, you see the connection there. It just steps. And all of a sudden you get to the point where you can say you're content in every situation. You can be Paul. And as we've read in Acts, and as we keep pushing next week, you see him pushing towards Jerusalem, knowing what's coming, and yet being content to do what God called him to. And his prayer is only that he would be poured out as an offering to God. All of him, nothing left. You can be happy in those moments if you have tasted and seen the God. But more than that, goes on, he says, young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. In the same dark night of my soul, my wife, in a commentary, she says, never came out this way, but we were talking. She's, she's going to hate me. I already saw the look on her face. So I'm going to look at this side of the sanctuary now. But we were sitting there in her commentary. She said it didn't mean this way, so just disclaimer, this is not what my wife had said. This is Matt's interpretation therein, Okay. That better? I disclaimed it. <laughs> it's not. Uh, but in the midst of that, her commentary, we were talking like, but we have to do this because if not, how am I going to provide for our family? And she said, Matt, you've never provided for our family. <laughs> Gentlemen, real quick, that's, that's that cut to the heart, right? You're like, I've never done anything. I'm just going to go. It's not what she meant at all. What she meant was what she said. I never once provided for my family, which real quick, I have nine kids. Okay, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. That's a lot of food. It's a lot of clothes. It's a lot of money. 
But the truth is, I have never once ever provided for my family. God has. Period. He's been good to me. That's what she was trying to remind me of in that moment. Me, being the boneheaded, thick-skulled man that I am, I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. You're going to pile in too. Thanks, honey. (laughs) But when you've seen God's goodness and you experience it, you realize you're not going to lack what you need because God is good. And so you get to the second part of this psalm. It's best put together is simply, God's been good. Join me in his goodness and experience it for yourself. Because experiencing God's faithfulness to us is an exclamation point on God's truth we're meant to share. Did you hear that? Your experience of God's goodness and faithfulness is the exclamation point on God's truth in written form. God's word that never changes, that's never tainted, that can't be broken, that has been spoken across the ages. The exclamation point is what God has done in your life because it makes these pages come alive. It shows you the God who is there, who is living and breathing and wants to show himself to you. Church, that's an amazing thing. And that is a giant exclamation point at the end of every sentence in Scripture. God's truth is there for you, but it doesn't ever stop with you. God's truth is something we're meant to share. That's why the psalm kicks into it. Verse 11, he says, Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is reverential fear. This is not, I'm terribly afraid of God. I would be if I ever saw him. Because his glory is beyond what I can comprehend or sustain. But this is that reverent fear of God. Verse 11 onward is all about teaching. David says, God's been good to me. Give him the praise he's due. God's been faithful and I've experienced it. Come experience it too. Then he launches into, let me teach you about the God I know, the God I've experienced, so that you can share the same thing. So he launched in, who is someone who desires life? Loving a long life to enjoy what is good. Generally, I think the answer to that question is all of us, right? We all desire life and enjoying good things. You know, that's, that's pretty much a summary of the uh, American dream in a heart shell. Like, man, yes, I want to enjoy the good things, God. This is great. Give me more. I think all of us can answer yes to that. But David tells us then what we need to do. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful, spot onerous demands placed on us by a tyrant. That's the biggest misunderstanding a lot of us have in the Old Testament. You hear about the law. You hear about the commandments. And we think of them as onerous things that are meant to keep us under someone's thumb and subjugate us. A lot of children have that about their parents' ideas. The rules of your household. Man, this is too much. I can't wash my own clothes. You expect me to clean my room? Nah, I ain't doing that. Wash the dishes? That's too much. Let's think about it. Those of us who are parents, we know why those demands are placed. They're for the good of our children. The commands God has given us are solely, completely, entirely for our good. And here's here's the cool part. Science has shown us that some of the things in the Hebrew diet that they were told not to eat, you know what would have happened if you don't process those things well enough and do things? 
it's going to make you ridiculously sick. God's sitting here knowing in his omnipotence, don't be stupid. And he tells us, and we're like the small child that says, man, I'm going to go touch that stove. It ain't hot. So your fingers all welted up and you're screaming bloody murder. Going, oh! God gave us these for our good. They're to show us. That's why 15 hits. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry for help. His commands aren't things that are meant to subjugate us. They're for our good. They're to show us who he is. That's why he's listening. But then verse 16, you see the difference. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. Who? That's, man, that, that sounds great. I, I don't want to be that guy. To remove their memory from all the earth. That's pretty harsh, right? But you know why? This is another one of those. It's not just for our good. It's for the good of everyone. Because those who do evil, they wind up corrupting. Like it's hard to see in the book of Joshua as the Israelites roll into the land. There's a lot of death and destruction that comes with that. Why? Because God's given them every opportunity to repent, to change, and to turn. And the fact of the matter is if they stayed which a lot of them did. The Israelites, his people, who he called by his name, who he brought out of darkness into marvelous light, you know what they did? Because they didn't get rid of those people, they lost track of who they were. That's why it cracked me up. A historian was talking about the fact that monogamy was not a Jewish tradition. It's not. We've got all this history about these relationships and this and that and the other, and I'm like, yes. There's actually almost an entire half of the Bible that talks about how stupid they were. When we don't remove evil, when we don't see God's commands as good, but as optional, we wind up going the opposite direction. And so David is teaching us to look for what God has said, to follow it, to avoid the other half. And that's why you get to the tail end. The righteous cry out, The Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be punished, but the Lord redeems the life of his servants. And all who take refuge in him will not be punished. It's an exclamation point. God gave us what he did to show us his goodness. David's experienced God's goodness. He's experienced his faithfulness. He's calling us in. Those first set, it's all about God. So is the last half. But it's the instruction, the reminder, God is good. Follow him. Or as Micah put it, he's told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God's not asking for the world and his commands. He's asking for your benefit. And as you keep going in those moments, you've tasted, you've seen, you hit another spot. Do you trust God to deliver you? Do you trust yourself? Famous stories about George Mueller and his orphanages were that he was praying that God would provide a way. That morning, he didn't know where breakfast is coming from. 
There's a knock on the door. It's a baker whose cart broke down in front of the orphanage. He's got a ton of bread. Hey, we can't get this here. Can we give it to you and the kids? Yeah. God provides. A man who had the faith to believe that God would make a way where there was no way. I want to read you this. Another quote from Mueller this morning because I'm stuck in it. But he says this. Now if I, a poor man, simply by prayer and faith obtained, without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying on an orphan house, there would be something which, with the Lord's blessing, might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God, besides being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted, of the reality of the things of God. This, then, was the primary reason for establishing the orphan house. But he continues on, the first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. When you say that that's your aim, that is bold. But you see what his faith in God did. Did you hear that line? It would be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God and a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted. What Mueller was saying, it would show the people who call God, God, who he is. Second, it would show people who don't know God exactly who God is. They would be able to see and touch something real and experiencing God in that way. And so my question, church, this morning, have you seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still? Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Because I promise, even if you don't think so, God has been good to you. This morning, we're going to take a quick exercise to remind you that God's good. She wants you to breathe in. It's glorious, the air, and then let it out. Quick message for you from that. God lets you breathe that air in. He provided it for you, and he hasn't quit. In fact, I just had to breathe in again. And you'll notice, have you ever, and here, here's my, Ailey's laughing at me, but seriously, have you ever taken the time to think about your breathing? The fact that you just do it. You know who made that mechanism? The God who knew you couldn't exist without it. He gave that to you as a testimony of his goodness. He's given you what you need as a testimony of his goodness. And that's why we come to the fact God is good. His love endures forever. And because he's been good to you, we're called to share it. That's where we get to application. This is the hard part. Experiencing the goodness of God should never stop with us. George Mueller, it was for people to see God's goodness. It was for those who didn't see God to see God. So church, God's goodness to you this morning is meant to go to someone else, to show them his goodness in you. You're to call them in and move on. And that's why a simple phrase, I was taught a long time ago, Monday's coming. Which what that means, man, I wrote that really small up there. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but the simple truth is this, Sunday cannot stand alone, but must change our Monday. 
So this morning, I got three simple steps to affect change this week that you can do. Because here's the thing. If all it is is God's word heard Sunday, and there's nothing that happens Monday through Saturday, we've got a problem. The living word of God is not meant to be right here. It's meant to be out there where God has sent you in places that only you can go and things that only you can do to be his witness. So three simple steps. First, David said, I have reason to praise him. Join me. What I want you to do is to dwell on God's goodness and faithfulness to you right now. Think of all the ways he's proven himself time and again in your life. Then call others to celebrate the goodness of God to you. Because I promise, if you took the time to think about all the ways he's been faithful, it's overwhelming. I had to think about it, and I had to dwell in that spot that God is good and his love endures forever, that I have tasted and seen the goodness of God, not for myself, but so that I can show the world who's watching and waiting who he is. So first, dwell on God's goodness and faithfulness. Celebrate that with others. Second, David said, I have reason to praise him. Join me. Did I do that backwards? No. I just read the wrong line. <laughs> uh, what I was saying is, this is my experience. It can be yours. Thanks, RJ. See, I knew that. I skipped back. After giving God the praise he deserves, share his goodness with others so they can experience his goodness and grace. God's proven himself. He's worthy of our praise. How do we share it? Simple. You tell someone else, you know what? I didn't know how I was going to pay the mortgage. And a random envelope from Minnesota showed up with 50 bucks one day. That happened while I lived in Hutch. $50 bill. Postmark was Minnesota. I don't even know anybody in Minnesota, y'all. Especially not in 2004. I didn't have a clue. But I was trying to figure out how do we pay the bills. And God was good. An envelope with a $50 bill showed up in the mail. We could pay our bills and have a few bucks left over. God is good. He's been good in your life. Share it with somebody so they can experience the same thing. And finally, David's third comment is learn from me. So help others to experience the goodness of God by offering your testimony as the exclamation point. Add it as good and he can be good to them. So my question is this. Who needs to see the exclamation point of your life compared to the unchanging word of God? Because that experience puts the exclamation point on a fact. So when you know it, it's because you've experienced it and can speak about it with alacrity. You can speak quickly. You can speak, well, I used a big word. I shouldn't have done that. But uh, because God has been good to you and because you've seen and tasted it, do something about it so that the watching and waiting world can see the goodness and faithfulness of our God. If you haven't experienced that, church, I promise you this. God is waiting. God is waiting. He's done all the work. All he's waiting for you is to turn around and say, man, I've been dumb. It's what repentance is. You look at the prodigal son. You turn around, you head back. He rehearsed his speech a billion times. He gets there. You know what the father did? Didn't let him get a word in edgewise, but called the party, gave him a hug, and he was ready to go. That is the picture Jesus gave us of our God. And if you don't know him this morning, he is waiting for you. We've tasted and seen his goodness. Our job is to show it to the world. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for being so incredibly good to us and placing us in a spot where we can show others your love and your grace. Pray that you would take your word this morning, that you would encourage us to go into our places, our work, our school, our homes, everywhere we are, so that people would see you and that we would remember. It's because of our experience we can speak about your goodness and your faithfulness. And because of that, we pray that people would know that you are God and that your goodness never fails. This morning we pray, continue the work you've started. And so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.